0: Busyness and priorities. The title of the message is Prioritize Him. It was going to be called The Call and the Promise. The call to follow Jesus, to live for Him, and the promise. What results of that, a fullness of life. Now, I understand busy. In fact, this is another episode in Brian preaching to Brian. I understand busyness. I'm in a doctoral program, going to school. I work here full time. I do some stuff with the police department, chaplaincy work. I do a little IT consulting. I got three kids, as you know, so I get busy. I understand busy, but here's some things to consider. I'm not just talking about the things we do. Because we're going to see and we're going to talk about. Jesus did a lot of things. Jesus was busy, but he wasn't hurried. See, sometimes we're busy, but we want to have the right priorities to make sure we're busy doing the right things. To make sure that we don't get hurried. That we don't have this sense that we're rushed, that we're always feeling we can't slow down, that we're unrested, that we're spiritually ungrounded, that we're always running from one thing to the next, always feeling like we're missing something. See, sometimes life is filled with activity, but even in the midst of activity, we can find our rest in Christ. We can confirm our call in Christ, and we can live and walk in the promises from Christ. So let me ask you this question. We're going to ask a lot of questions. And again, these, you know, it's always God's word, challenging, convicting, each of us. And conviction's good if it motivates us to change. You know, people will say sometimes, you know, when I feel, you know, how do I know if it's like the, the enemy or if it's God? And I'm like, well, that's easy. If you just sit there and you feel shame and guilt and bad about yourself, that's not from God. But if that conviction motivates you to take inventory and see what you're supposed to change... That's that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's that conviction that leads to life. And so let me ask this question. Is my business related to my calling? Is my busyness related to the ministry God's given me? And God has given every one of us a ministry. If you're a Christian, your life is ministry. It doesn't get compartmentalized. You don't have a church life and a home life and a work life. You just have a Jesus life. And he, be, he wants to be manifest wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Now, I'm not saying we don't get, take time to get refreshed and renewed, that we, you know, we, we run so hard that we never take down time. In fact, that's the opposite of what we're called to do. We're called to be refreshed and renewed, to enjoy relationships, to enjoy creation, to have that time down. I preached a sermon before that says, rest, but then keep running. So we're called to be rest and refreshed. We're going to see Jesus' pattern of doing that. But then to get back in the race, to do what we're called to do, is the thing. Your most valuable asset is your time. You can gain and lose position, jobs, finances, relationship, but once your time is gone, it is gone forever. You never get it back. And so everything you give up in exchange for your time must be valuable. We must be conscious and aware of what are we doing. And look, this is an area I struggle most with in my life, like many of us. We feel like our calendar controls us, but the truth is we control our calendar. And as busy as we are, that's the reality we need to make sure our schedule includes time with our, with our spouses, with our family and friends, time for work, time for ministry, time for prayer, time to devotion, time for exercise. That one's you know, falls off my list a lot. I know that's hard to tell, but that's uh, it's taking a back seat. That's why I listed that last. But we need to take care of our physical and our spiritual, our relational and emotional lives. And here's the thing. If we neglect our spiritual lives, if we don't nourish ourselves, you know what's going to happen? It's going to affect us physically. It's going to affect us relationally, emotionally. You know how many times I hear people say, Pastor Brian, I just feel, you know, so distant from God. And I'm like, well, how much time are you spending with him? The scripture says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I mean, that's a promise. So what do we do? We have to be aware. We have to recognize that oftentimes that distance is because we can't stand. You know, when you're a Christian, you're never alone. You're never alone. You're just with him. And so we get so used to the noise and the distractions and the activity that psychologists have done test after test. If they sit a person in a room just by themselves in the quiet, they go crazy. They don't even know what to do with themselves because they're so used to constant noise and constant stimulation, and we don't even learn to be still to hear his voice. So we spend all of our time listening to the other voices and we wonder why we're filled with anxiety and uncertainty and frustration and disappointment. When the Lord says, be still, I shared this before and I haven't stopped thinking about it. We went not long ago, the pastors went to a denominational meeting, about 40 pastors in the room. And one of the pastors was sharing, he said, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and you will find rest for your soul. But my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He said, why does everybody in this room think that doesn't apply to them? And it just kind of, like one of those things that just, just hit me. Like, here we are pastors, right? Here we are. We're in love with Jesus. We're doing the work, and yet we forget to get refreshed and renewed. We forget that invitation where he says, come to me. I know you're weary. Jesus... In his ministry, took time to be alone with the Father. We're going to read that. We're going to see that. How much more important is it that we do that same thing? Now, I don't want to put myself out there as someone who has this, you know, balance thing mastered because I am like I'm task oriented. I am like, I like to get things done. And how many people know? I mean, life is like you start the day, you have 10 things on your list, you want to get it done at the end of the day, you feel like you have, you've been doing all kinds of stuff and you have 15 things to do at the end of the day. It's like, what happened, right? But we need to learn to focus. We need to make sure that the things we're focusing on are the, the correct things. And we need to have people in our life that will speak truth to us. So I can get tunnel vision. I can get focused on a task. And fortunately, there are people in my life. Jamie will say to me, you know, I know you spend a lot of time. That's your focus. But is that the most important thing right now? And it it seems to be because I want to get it done because I want to cross it off the list. And some of the other things seem like, well, that's an interruption. But we're going to see again in the scriptures where oftentimes that Jesus was interrupted and the disciples were like, no, no, hey, he's doing ministry. And Jesus was like, no, you knucklehead, that is the ministry. And sometimes Jamie has to say to me, I know you're trying to get stuff done. It's good stuff, but you're missing, you're missing. And I got to receive that. We have to have people in our lives that can hold us accountable, that can speak truth and can say, hey, you might be getting a little off track. And we can get angry. I could be like, listen, go, go back to your office. I don't want to hear from you. But I know he's saying it out of love. I know he's saying it out of a heart for the Lord. And we need people in our lives that we can re- receive from. And so it's a work in progress. But I'm striving toward that to make sure, am I doing right now with what the Lord wants me to do? Is my time? Because it's his. Right? We've said before, the gospel is free, but it's not cheap. It's a life for a life. I know that's not preached in a lot of places. It's his cheap grace, but it is a life for a life. Jesus gave his life for you, and what he asks in return, make no mistake, is that you give your life back to him. And here's the thing, right? When you do that, what he makes of it is so much more beautiful than all you can ask or imagine. And that's just what he does, right? But we gotta trust, we gotta walk in that. We can't neglect our own time with Jesus, our own spiritual nourishing. You know, especially in ministry, it's easy to get fooled into thinking everything you're doing is, is, you know, it's for Jesus. And sometimes we say, well, we can be doing work for Jesus, but without Jesus. Like, and we, can, we can be doing, just because we're in the church, we're not immune from this. In fact, it's harder sometimes, because you think, well, well, if you're busy in the church, then it's just automatically spiritual stuff. It doesn't have to be. We can be busy doing all kinds of stuff and we can be doing it without Jesus so we can be doing it and we can get wrapped up in our own stuff. So this message is for all of us to say, today, this is the day the Lord's made, right? Today's the day he's given me. It's a privilege. I have a breath of fresh air and he wants to use me. He wants me to be a minister. And so what are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with our time? Because distraction and wrong priorities can and do happen to any of us. You know, I think after Emmer and Renzo shared with us, I think of that quote is, there are some people who will always make an excuse, and there are some people who will always make a way. I mean, you think you feel like, you know, I really want to go to that group by an hour. I don't want to walk an hour. I mean, that's just too far. When they get transportation, I'll go. Or if you're going to work an hour, but then you're like, well, I would walk an hour, but it's raining out, so... Or there's people that are like, I don't care if I have to walk an hour, and I don't care if it's raining because I need to get to the feet of Jesus. That's prioritized. That's priorities, right? That's prioritizing him, and that's rewarding. And, and so this past, and I'm not, believe me, this is not me using myself as an example because most of the time I use myself as an example of what not to do. Or Hey, this is what the Lord taught me this week because I'm a knucklehead. But sometimes every now and then I get it right. And so this past Wednesday, I was tired. I got yeah at 7.30 in the morning. I'm exhausted, you know, long day. And I felt like the Spirit sort of nudged me like, you need, you need to pray. You need to go to prayer tonight. And I'm like, at first, I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's kind of been a long day for me. It's going kind to of be like 12 hours. I don't know. I'm tired. I should go home. And you, you know right away when, like, it's the Spirit. And you could, you could just ignore it, right? I'm like, no, you know, I really, I really need to pray. I mean, there was a re- million reasons for me to not pray, and so I did. I came up here, and I prayed. And here's, here's the lesson in that. I came up here, and I prayed, and I prayed with the pastors, and I was refreshed, and I was renewed, and I met with Jesus. And all the things I needed to do the next day or I didn't get done, they were still going to be there. It's still going to be there. The world's going to continue. But I was able to pause and to be in his presence and to be refreshed and renewed, and and to recognize and to have the Spirit confirm there's nothing else you should be doing. There's nowhere else you should be right now. Now, here's the thing, and I don't say this to make you feel bad. Sometimes Wednesday doesn't work for anybody, whatever. We have about 500 people connected to this church. There were six of us at prayer. And so I'm going to ask you this question. It's rhetorical. But what were you doing Wednesday night? And was that more important? And look, if Wednesday has work, a community group. Here, here's, the, here's the principle we got to learn to develop ourselves spiritually. We got to be in the world. We got to pray alone and we got to pray together. We're going to see Jesus did it. And if Jesus did it, how much more do we need to do it? And we all have family members that don't know Jesus yet and friends. Where do you think that battle's won? You think those people are waiting for the building to get nicer or the, the ministry to get more? No. It's, it's in prayer. And so we got to have a prayer life. We got to prioritize it because there's always a million reasons not to show up. Well, you know, it's late. It's a half hour on a Wednesday. You, keep, you don't have to come every time, but pop in. And here's the thing, and I said this before. The enemy doesn't care if what keeps you away from the things that nourish you are morally neutral, like you're playing tennis, right? Morally neutral, I'm not picking on Kenan. That was just a morally neutral thing I thought about. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's something that's, that's morally neutral or if it's sinful, if you're in a bar room. All the enemy cares is you're being kept away from what's good for you because here's the thing. Everything in your life is going to take from you. Every relationship, every job, every task, everything is going to pull from you. And that's why we live in an age of increasing anxiety and increasing exhaustion. People say, if there's more time in a day. If we had 30 hours in a day, we'd fill 30. We need to learn to prioritize. We need to learn to be still. We need to learn to be prayerful. We need to prioritize time with him. And I'm saying this to you because I love you and because it's what I need. It's because we are what we all need. And when we do that, when we walk in that, when we show up especially when we don't want to show up. You know you're like, "Ah, you know, I didn't want to come to church this morning." And then you're like, "Man, that message was for me." Oh, I didn't want to go to group, but then somebody shares and it really touches your heart. Because the enemy knows that. And there's a spiritual battle, church, and sometimes we're not even aware. We're just blissfully, you know, we're, we're sufficiently distracted. We don't think of the important stuff. I read a book by a guy and he used the phrase, amusing ourselves to death. We're all amusing ourselves to death. We don't pay attention to what's important because the urgent crowds out the important. The things, well, I gotta get that done, I gotta get that done, I gotta get that done. It's like, do you really? Or do you want to? It's like, you know, I I work more so I can buy more stuff, so I have to work more so I can buy more. And then we look around and we see our friends and we think, well, they're doing that too, so that must be how everybody is. No. No, it's not how everybody ought to be. My wife reminds me often that in this life, we make time for the things that are important. I hate it every time she says it, but it's true. You know, a few times that uh, I'm getting better, but a few times, you know, she'll be like, did you get this done or whatever? And I'll be like, I've been just so busy. And she'll be like, I don't know. Netflix was like, you watch five episodes of that. Uh. I'm like, well, I, was, I didn't say what I was busy doing. They said I was busy. See, we like to think we're the victims of busyness, don't we? Like somehow it's just, it's this external force that renders us so helpless, there's nothing we can do. Like we said to people, like, oh, I'm so busy. And I understand the seasons, I understand things happen, but we, we operate in busyness. And ultimately, we are in charge of our calendars. But instead, we tend to be stretched too thin and it leads to burnout and anxiety and frustration. And We make excuses. It's not that, the, the biggest fear is not that we don't succeed. We don't accomplish our goals. That's not the biggest fear, because some of us are going to accomplish a lot of stuff. The biggest fear is that we succeed and accomplish goals that don't really matter. That we're going to get to the end of our life and we're going to say, look what all I've done, and it's going to be nothing. It's going to be gone when you're gone. It's not a legacy. It's not a ministry. It's not service. We're building the Tower of Babel. And we sit back and we say, look what we've done. I read an article, and it said this, most people are busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and they dread what they might have to face in its absence. People feel more and more guilty when they're not keeping busy. Then he said this, listen real closely to this. Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, a life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, if you're so completely booked, if you're so in demand every hour of the day. And so our frantic days are a hedge against emptiness. They keep us sufficiently distracted because when we're in those moments where we're alone with the Lord, we don't know what to do with ourselves. See, prayer isn't just speaking to God. Prayer is listening. Prayer is just being silent in His presence and allowing the Spirit to fill you, to renew you, to refresh you. We're going to see it. It's a pattern in Jesus' life. And somehow we think we can do ministry without it. And people try to, and then they burn out. You know, you know how many pastors I meet with and the churches are, are, you know, there's no perfect church, but churches are just, you know, burning the pastors out or they can't find a good pastor or, you know, it's just a mess. The refreshing and the renewing, it starts with each of us. See, we need a theology of time. We need a theology of, a t- of time. It's, it's our most valuable resource, and we, think, we don't think about it. We just, again, it's, it's like this powerless thing. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know what to do. I can't. I'm just too busy, too busy, too busy. Who in this room hasn't said, I'm too busy, I'm too busy? Well, at what point are you going to stop and not be too busy? Because it's up to you and it's up to me. I read this at funerals of the scripture a lot. When people are pondering death and the brevity of life, and they're open to thinking for a moment about, yeah, it goes by quick. I've done in the last decade probably 40 funerals. Most of them were people under 40 years old. Most of them addiction-related. And you know how many, how many of those people, you know, coming to church or plugging in spiritually or, you know, going into a program, well, that's my plan B because we all have a plan A. We all have our plan. And then, like, God's plan, well, if it doesn't work out, yeah, you know, I've heard people say, i got some things in my life to get together, but when I do, you know, I'm going to go to church. That's like saying, my car's a mess, but once I fix it, I'll take it to the mechanic. That's not how that works. You know how many people I've sat with, and they've said, yeah, you know, I know I need a program. I know I'm going to go to Teen Challenge. I know I'm going to do something, but first I'm going to do this, 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 and this. This is my plan A. Teen Challenge, a program, that'll be my plan B. And you know what? That plan A ends up being a coffin, because we think we know better. You don't have to just use that example in addiction. You can use it in every... In every instance, the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We count years, right, don't we? Teach us to number our days today. I have today, and it's a gift. Let me have a heart of wisdom about it. Let me, let me recognize whose I am and act accordingly. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. And we must realize that every time we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to everything else. Make sure your yeses count. Lord, would you just open our hearts this morning and our spirits and our mind, God, would you let this word penetrate, God? Would you not allow the enemy to have any place in in our minds, God? Would you instead help us to respond to you, God, to be motivated to take an honest assessment of what we're doing with our time, God, and to not feel to not leave here with guilt and shame but to leave here motivated and encouraged, God, to live more for you. And so Father, I have you way in this message in Jesus' name. So this morning we we heard from our missionaries and like I said I want to call them CFC Guatemala because they're a church And you know what? They could have come to America for an easier life. I'm not going to say a better life, because there's nothing better than walking in the call of God. But it's a lot more comfortable. It's a lot easier. And I've preached sermons, and we can choose comfort and easy. But the Christian life is one of growth. It's one of, like John said, more him, less me. And the less, like you, the less you are like Jesus, the more change that needs to take place and the more difficult that is because growth is not comfortable. And if you're growing, you're not comfortable. And if you're comfortable, most of the time you're not growing. So Emma and Renzo could choose what's easy, but they know it's not what's better. It's the call of God in their lives. You know, I FaceTime with them, not as much as I should, and I want to do it more, but I FaceTime with them and every time I FaceTime with them, they say, Pastor Brian, thank you so much for just giving up your time for us. And every time in my mind, I just think, man, you guys get it all wrong. Thank you. Because they're an inspiration. You guys are an inspiration to me. Amen. See, a lot of us talk about what Jesus did. A lot of us tell other people about what Jesus did. We memorize what Jesus did. But we're called to do what Jesus did. Jesus, it's an increasing series of invitation, right? Believe in me. Trust in me. Follow me. Abide in me. Do what I do. Live the way I lived. Don't just talk about me. A lot of people talk about Jesus. See, they persist in the face of very real obstacles. Where they live, there's a lot of volcanoes. And the last one, I think, was in 2018, about four years ago. And the volcano erupts, and people are leaving, trying to get safety. And Emma and Renzo get special permission from the government to go in to where the volcano is to minister to people and to bring them food. Right? Right? I mean, look, church, we we ought not be ashamed of our circumstance or situation born in America. Every one of us has a measure of affluence and influence. Every one of us has a ministry. And the question is not what you're doing with somebody else's talent, with somebody else's ability. The question is not whether you can do what Emma and Renzo did. The question is, are you walking in your call? Or is your life disrupting you from what God's called you to do? God's not going to ask you what you did with my talent and ability or with somebody else's resource. He's going to say, what are you doing with what I gave you? And you can say, well, I wanted to be comfortable. And here's the thing, right? When they are in, in those moments, we feel this emptiness. Like, is this all there is? You know, I, I see it all the time. I talk to a lot of, you know, successful people and, and they get to a point and they just think, I thought this was gonna be it. I thought if I, if I made enough money or if I you know, had the right relationship or I bought the right house or I thought at some point I was just gonna sit back and be like, I've done well. This is great. And you know what? They get there and there's this nagging sense of, is that it? Is that it? I mean, you look at, you look at the billionaires and you, you just kind of pay attention. One guy buys a boat and then the other guy buys a boat that's bigger and then the other guy, it's like, this is really, you guys are like five-year-olds buying boats that would feed like an entire nation. Do you think they're fulfilled? No. The call is to live for Jesus. The promise is that's a life of abundance and a, and a life to the full. You think the God who created you and sent Jesus to die on the cross for your benefit, you think he just wants you to have a mediocre life? Hey, Jesus is going to die on the cross for you and, and, and set you free from sin so you can do... An okay thing, you know, you can have a comfortable life, go on a few vacations, you know, kind of cruise right into heaven, maybe die in your sleep. Well, this was a great run. No, nope. He set you free from you so you can be used of him. How we live makes a difference. When I heard the story of them running into where the volcanoes were, it reminds me of the first four centuries of the church. they had had gone through plague after plague at one point a third of the population had been decimated with plagues even the most famous dr galen fled to a country estate in rome they didn't even know how to treat the sick so they would put them in carts and wheelbarrows and they would just put them out there and leave them to die the minute you showed symptoms they didn't know what to do with you so they'd caught you out there too and you know what the christians did the christians went there and they took care of the sick and they ministered, and not only did they save lives, but they saved souls. Because testimony after testimony is like, what would propel them to do that? There's writing from the ancient pagans, where the pagans, just for political reasons, said, hey, we got to do charitable stuff, you know, we got to appease the people and look good. And they have writings that say, we got to live like those Christians. Because how we live matters. And again, I'm not, you hear the story about Aaron Renzo and you can be like, it should be encouraging. It could be motivating. But it doesn't mean move to Guatemala and do what they're doing. It means where you are, with what you have, with who's around you, what are you doing for Jesus? D.L. Moody once said the scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives and our great problem. In the west is that we traffic in unlived truths we try to communicate what we've never experienced so we invite people to church because we think that's what we're supposed to do we you know tell them, hey follow jesus it'll put joy in your heart As my pastor said so let's tell you that You're like you don't look very joyful yeah i know i am i love jesus Or we tell people about the power of Jesus to overcome sin or whatever, and we just with trafficking and unloved truth. It's not even real to us. Rem and Enzo live out their faith because they have a heart for people because they have a love for God. And they exa- they are examples of people living with hope. As Christians, every one of us is called, but we don't all respond. You know, when I think of somebody who lived for others, I, I think of my father often, and I've shared this before, and it's just, it's such a profound, had such a profound effect on I me, and I think it's a good example, because I didn't realize how selfish I was until I had kids and got married, and I didn't realize how unselfish my father was. Because, I mean, I have kids and a wife, and I and I love them, but, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm selfish, if my wife was here, she would she would be like, yes, he is, you know, right? Or I'll compromise, be like, well, we do what you wanted last time. Let's do, you know, it's like a negotiation, right? And I look at my father, and his whole life, he lived to his wife and kids. To the fact where, and, and you know, he, he would he would always do things, and he would, like, you know, fix cars and fix the house, and, and he'd always ask me to do those things with him, not because he needed my help, but because he wanted to spend time with me. But more importantly, like, because he wanted to teach me. He wanted what he knew to last beyond him. He wanted to, he considered, you know, if you know how to do this, then if I'm not around, you can do it. And believe it or not, and don't share this with anybody because I want to keep this a secret. But I can, I can put sheetrock, I can run wire, I can put an engine in a car, I can change brakes, change oil. I don't do those things. I don't know why anyone would want to do those things. But I can do them because my father taught me. And, and so here's the thing, and this is a very beautiful, but very difficult story at the same time. When my father was dying of cancer and he knew his time had come to an end, he knew that the treatment wasn't working and he decided to stop treatment. Now, to me at that point, it's like, all right, bucket list. It's like, all right, I have six months to live. Here's what I want to do. And here's what I want everyone to do around me. I mean, that, that would be reasonable, right? That would totally be fine. Be like, guys, I'm, my dad was 56 years old when he died. Be like, look, I'm really young. I haven't, you know, I haven't really got to do a lot. Here's what I want to do. That's what I would have done. I'm just being honest with you. And my father, I was in team challenge, and my sister told me this story after he died. <sighs> my father walked around the house, he knew there were certain things my mother couldn't do and wasn't gonna walked around the house with a notebook with my sister, saying, Hey, this is how you close the pool down. This is how you shut this off in the winter. If you got a problem with the electric, this is what and thought of what it's gonna be like when he's not around. Even in the end, that's what he thought of. And I think that Jesus is that perfect kind of teacher, right? Could have been anything, and he decided to come as a teacher. And in his last days, what did he do? He washed the disciples' feet and he, and he, and he encourages them because he's thinking, what are you going to do? How are you going to carry on my work when I'm not around? And you think he did that? See, Jesus just didn't make disciples, he made disciples who make disciples. It's a big difference. Because if all Jesus did was make disciples and that was the end of it, the church wouldn't grow. We are called not just to be disciples, but to make disciples. To consider with the people in our life, hey, you know, what can I impart to them? How can I help them to have a heart like Jesus? Because ministry isn't just what you do in and for the church. Ministry is living your life, recognizing Jesus in you. It's helping your neighbor, Jesus himself. If anyone was like, serve me, worship me. Should have been Jesus. And he's like, I didn't come to serve. I mean, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Oh, I came to give my life as a ransom for you. You think he did that so you can have more free time? You think he did that so we can live lives of luxury? And I'm not saying to feel bad about, that's not what I'm saying. It's the, it's the priority of things. That's what I'm saying. Prioritize him. Doesn't mean you can't have nice stuff and go on vacation. I'm not saying that. I'm saying prioritize him, leverage your influence and your affluence primarily for the kingdom of God. And here's the thing: when you do that, you don't lose. I've never seen anybody say, "You know, I gave my whole life for Jesus, and man, what a you know what a letdown. I regret that." I've heard people say, I gave my life to my company, I gave my life to, you know, the pursuit of money and what a letdown, but I've never heard anybody say, I gave it all to Jesus and he let me down. I've heard a lot of people say, I've given my life to GSM ready to meet him. My father, one of the last conversations we had, was walking around Teen Challenge. It was a Thanksgiving. And he talked with me and he said, You know, this wasn't my plan, but if it's God's plan, I'm okay with it. I did the best I could. I love my family. And I tried to help where I could. It's about a legacy. See the point is if we're living with for Jesus, our lives will bear fruit. They can't not bear fruit. And if you look and your life's not bearing fruit, it's because you're still the king. And now you can be like Pastor Brian, that was very I didn't that didn't make me feel good. That was very convicting. Not nice of you to say that. That I'm the king. If it really bothered you when I said that, it's because you're the king, for sure. There's no question now. <laughs> if you were just like, is, is he talking about me? Yes, I'm definitely talking about you. Talking about me too, though. So you can either feel bad and be oh, you know, best mind made me feel really bad today. But you can be like, Lord, I don't want to be the king anymore. I mean, when we close, we have alt altar call. We're going to sing, I surrender. You can just say the words for the 50th time in your life, or you can really, for the first time, be like, I surrender. And I was 33 years old, and I ended up in Teen Challenge in a, in a rehab in Brockton. I'm like, well, that's the end. <laughs> Every opportunity, great parents, everything. I'm in a rehab in Brockton. This is, this is the end of ministry. Any potential I had for God, any good I thought I wanted to do, this is, I guess not. And then I remembered. I remembered David and Peter and Paul. See, God doesn't look and go, Who's really talented? You know who, who's uh, who's a great singer like Christina. Who's uh, you know who's who's a good musician? Who's a talented contractor? Raff was Raf. Who who? I need somebody that's special. No, he's, You know he's looking for people who say, "You can use me." You know the 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 best part of my life when I was at the end. I'm like, well, now, I mean, it's like the Lord asked for your life, and you're like, no, it's mine, no, it's mine, no, it's mine. And then at some point, you're just like, Lord, you can have it now. I mean, it's nothing. I've, it's nothing. It's got no value. It's got no worth. That's how I felt. You can take my life now, Lord. I mean, you know, who would want it? And I felt like He spoke to my spirit and said, I've been waiting for you to say that your whole life. You think you have to be an addict or you have to have an addiction? Every single one in this room, that's what he's waiting for. You hear what Eminem Renzo, you hear what God does to other people. You say, I wish God would do that through me. And he's like, I'm trying to, but you won't give me your life. You won't give me your heart. Eminem and Renzo are special. I'm not going to say they're not special, but you know who's more special? The Jesus in them. So we always look at other people and we think, oh, look what God's doing through them. It's the same God. It's just a matter of submitting of prioritizing him. John 1, 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them followed and said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. See, they just wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus. Because the goal here, the reason we read the Bible is to learn about the character of God is because the scriptures point to Jesus. It's not so we can win at Bible trivia. The goal is not to just know more. It's to be more like him. And busyness and distraction is often our biggest problem because we don't have the right priorities. In this world, our communications unprecedented. We're more connected to each other. We're more connected around the world. I preached a sermon once, disconnected in in a connected world. We are more connected to human beings around the world, to news than we've ever been in our lives. And we are more disconnected from nature. We are more disconnected from God. And we are more disconnected from each other than we've ever been in history. Because we're distracted. Most of the time, we're so unaware. If we can't change our surroundings... We need to look to Jesus and allow him to change us. Because he was busy, but he was never hurried. He had tons of demands from people. He had a following. He had needs. He met them, but he took time to be with the Father, to pray, and to be refreshed. And he was obedient to the call. Mark 1, verse 16, as Jesus Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now they could have been like, what does that even mean, Jesus? I mean, I'm fishing, this is how I make a living. What does that mean? I have a lot of questions, Jesus. Can we sit down? Can we talk about this? I mean, what are the guarantees? Verse 19, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. They left what they knew their whole lives. See, back then, every little boy wanted to follow a rabbi. That was like the the best thing you could do. Everybody wanted. There wasn't anybody who woke up and didn't want to do that. That was like, I don't know, when I was a kid, it was like your parents like be a doctor or a lawyer. I don't know what the thing is now. But whatever, that thing. That was, every little boy was like, follow a rabbi. So the fact that these guys weren't doing that means they already had flunked out. Means they already weren't good enough. And so when Jesus comes along and says, hey, follow me, they were probably like, me? No, you didn't get the memo. I, I, I fish, I'm not. No, I, maybe you didn't hear about my past. They were probably following him so quickly, like, we better follow this guy before he does a background check right but see jesus saw potential in them their past their current situation didn't disqualify them see we think that about ourselves me jesus you calling me i'm not a pastor i'm not i'm not a leader i didn't go to school. i don't not me he's gonna follow me we have these questions Well, i don't i mean i, I don't know See, it's interesting later on when, when you know, when Jesus gets crucified and some of them, what do they do? They go right back to fish and like, well, that didn't turn out well. I wish I would have never followed that guy. They left what they knew their whole lives and immediately they saw, that was the call. They left what they knew their whole lives. That was the call. And they saw Jesus do miracles and he changed their lives and he gave them eternal meaning and promise and purpose forever. That was the promise. Jesus doesn't call us all to the same specific thing, but he calls us all to die to self, to share the good news, to live for others. And immediately they saw Jesus perform miracles and confirm who he is. Verse 21 as they went to him, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue. He began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Has, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out. The people were so amazed and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And then the news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now those guys following him have been like, ooh, wow, this guy is something. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. His mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus, so he went with her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Now, that, that language doesn't literally mean the whole town, but what it means is a ton of people, way more than is expected. You think Jesus wasn't busy? He was busy, but he wasn't hurried. And he had the right priorities. And you know where he got his power and direction from the Father in prayer. And he's Christ. And if that was what fueled his ministry, if that was the essential lifeblood in his life, how much more ought it to be in ours? We need to learn to pray alone and develop and mature. So when we come together and pray, this power, our hearts are already aligned with his, amen? Verse 35 says this, very early in the morning. And I'm like, I don't like that that's there. I want another translation. Does anything say, whenever you feel like it, make time, maybe after supper? And then very early in the morning, that's kind of subjective. I mean, 7 a.m. is very early in the morning to me. But then it says this, while it was still dark. Like, that is just not good. (laughs) Jesus got up, he left the house, he went off to a solitary place, place where he prayed. I think Jesus could have been like, you know, I was up all last night healing people. I think I'm gonna sleep in, I'm gonna hit. You know, I, I have, I have Alexa, Alexa alarm, which is the worst thing because you don't even have to touch anything. You just be like, Alexa, stop. <laughs> Alexa, 10 more minutes. Say it 50 times. Like, he's like, why do you even set that? I'm optimistic. <laughs> he could have made that excuse, I could have been like, you know, I was up all night, hailing people. I'm going to sleep in today. But he recognized I have so much ministry that I need to do that I need to spend this time alone with my Father and to hear his voice and to be refreshed and renewed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. What are you doing? What are you doing? Can you cut this prayer short? Like we have ministry to do. Jesus, you know, you've been praying for like an hour now. Like everybody's awoke. Come on, chop, chop. <laughs> Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach also there. That's why I have come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. He came to do what he came to do. He was busy, but he wasn't hurried. See, oftentimes the things that we think are interruptions are actually ministry. You know, you're busy and you're working on your sermon and somebody knocks on the door because they're going through something. You know, I'll never forget, years ago I was, I was putting a sermon together on patience. The kids are small and they interrupted me. I'm like, guys, please, dad's pre- putting a sermon together right now on patience. <laughs> I love this scripture, Matthew 19, verse 13. Then people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And Jesus prayed, but the disciples rebuked them. Guys, hey, and I, this is such a church thing, right? They're this, this so well-intentioned, I can just see it happening. Like, hey, guys, Jesus has got some important stuff to do. You kids, go to kids' church, go play, right? Hey, don't bother Jesus. He's a very important guy. His time's valuable, Like, hey, don't bother, you know. The the disciples, I mean, they were well-intentioned. They were thinking, and Jesus is like, you knuckleheads. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. The reason we we grow weary is not so much that we have so much to do, but we haven't learned to lean on him ask the worship team to come up. See, life isn't about filling your time, but about using it well. It's about walking an incredibly, imperfectly obedient walk. God's will will never take you to where his grace will not sustain you. I'm gonna close with these words. Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's the call. And then verse 24 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And that's the promise. Paul tells the Philippians this, Live in such a way to be a credit to the message of Christ. Church, let us live that way together. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.